This is IVP. Ever wonder how God is specifically inviting you into a deeper walk with Him? Join a diverse group of students and mission-minded hearts in Indianapolis this December, the 28th through the 31st, for the Urbana Student Missions Conference. Since 1946, Urbana has been a space for whole life, whole world discipleship, a place to discover how God is calling you to use your gifts and passions in His global mission. You'll encounter stories of people who have answered their call to the Great Commission and have served it around the world. You'll engage in dynamic, joyful, multicultural worship unlike any other worship experience you've had. And you'll enter a sacred space to interact with missions organizations and experts to discern where your gifts and experiences fit in God's global work. It's time to rise up. Learn about conference discounts by signing up for the Urbana Insider Community at urbana.org and register now. That's U-R-B-A-N-A dot org. Join us at Urbana 22 to discover, discern, and decide how to pair your passions with God's purpose. Greetings, folks. Welcome to the second episode of our podcast mini-series called I'm Dreaming of a Not-White Christmas. This is a podcast mini-series that I, Jamar Tisby, get to co-host with the incredible, unrepeatable, expert leader in her field, Dr. Nancy Wong Yoon. What's up? Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> You're all festive. <laughs> if folks are watching the video, she has a Christmas hat. I will confess, I don't have a lot of Christmas swag. I don't have a lot of Christmas merch, but you're inspiring me. Maybe I need to, uh, in the next episode, have something uh, just going. You need to buy one and you have it forever and ever because you only wear it like, you know, maybe a few days. I guess if you're a Hallmark for three months or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can wear it while you're sitting at home watching some of these Christmas movies. And Nancy, I got to say that sometimes when I'm watching these movies, I don't know if I'm watching a Christmas movie or like some Valentine's Day romantic comedy. Like it, it, some of these films, you could just take away the Christmas tree and some of the snow and it would be perfectly appropriate to watch this in February, February 14th on Valentine's Day or something. The Christmas rom-com is like one of the most popular, if not the most popular genre of Christmas film now. What was that all about? It wasn't always so. I feel like the Christmas movies I grew up with were more about Santa Claus and maybe family, even like something like, do you remember Elf? That yes. was, uh, it was I, I actually really enjoy Elf and that story about Will Ferrell like, you know, going from adopted elf human to finding his father, that really, I mean, there was a little bit of romance in there, but that was not the central story. It was not about actually like father, son, daddy issues kind of thing. And it was a very, you know, that was a different kind of love that was portrayed, right? And we think about 
Christmas and love, you know, if we think about Jesus, God and God coming in human form, if that's the root of love. But now we've evolved to very saccharine, <laughs> very, very, like you said, rom-com, really just, but it's its own genre now, the Christmas rom-com, because there are mm. particular tropes to be expected that I think that, you know, there are some tropes like fake boyfriend, fake girlfriend, meet cutes, all those things that are, I think, uh, part and parcel of rom-coms in general. Mm-hmm. But there are specifically, like, for example, the the, the royalty, like, you know, going to a country where it's perpetually Christmas, where it's always snowing, and there's like Christmas fairs, and then you win yourself a prince, right? I think that's a very, very popular Christmas rom-com trope that I think in alignment with the theme of what we're talking about, usually that prince, like 99% of the time, is European of some sort, of right? You're of white course. European. It's always a European kingdom of some sort and right. and so that's what castles. we're going to get into castles right. in some part of Europe they're not going to parts of Asia or Africa or South America no no and because it's those aren't associated with christmas in the popular imagination exactly right? castle that, i don't know why castles are associated with christmas but somehow castles and christmas this is the part of the rom-com because it's the fantasy <laughs> of everyone well not everyone but a lot of people think oh wouldn't it be fun to marry a prince but as we know with Meghan Markle that's you know sometimes it's not not all that's cracked up to be right which you know I can't wait for that Christmas movie oh (laughs) my (laughs) so that's exactly what we're going to get into are what is distinctive about Christmas rom-coms and so what we're talking about is that romantic comedies they're full of tropes they're they're full of these predictable storylines and in spite of or or even perhaps because of this they're some of the most popular films in our culture especially the rom-coms that center around the Christmas season and then there's companies like Hallmark that have created entire media ecosystems of Christmas films but And this is what we're going to get into. In the attempt to make a feel-good experience for viewers, they're also reinforcing a narrow cultural and gendered idea of family, love, and Christmas. And so we're going to talk about and draw out some of these implicit and explicit messages of these films and then help broaden our concept of what romance in a Christmas movie can look like, or even if that should be kind of the focus of, of, of some of these things. So Nancy, you were already talking about some of the tropes that we find, the the princess, the castle, winning winning herself a prince. I love that phrase. What are some other things that characterize a Christmas rom-com? So a very common theme that has arisen from these Christmas rom-com is the setting is either the Western European <laughs> castle, which codes white, or a small Midwestern mountain town that is. is also perpetually snowy yes. and and maybe has a lodge and lots and lots of trees, Christmas trees. And the small Midwestern mountain town is in the popular mind white as well, right? Because the residents are, you know, typically, even if they're multicultural, the main lead will be white. I'm thinking of the Lindsay Lohan movie that just came out mm-hmm. uh, that's dropped in on Netflix, Falling for Christmas, where... Lindsay Lohan is an heiress. She has amnesia, which is a common, I think, romantic comedy trope. But she's in the small mountain town. Or actually, I don't even know. I mean, 
she's part of a kind of conglomerate, but somehow she meets a small mountain town. Yes, in it ends Uner, up there somehow. <laughs> yeah, who is who is blonde? Who is a, a, an actor from Glee? And yet everybody around them are people of color. So even you know, even though they're trying to do diversity, the mountain town, I think, hero is going to be coded white and usually mm-hmm. blonde, right? And so still doesn't fall too far from, I think, the mountain town, which is, if you watch so many of the, the rom-coms that have come out, the Christmas rom-coms, they've all been white, small mountain town. Um, and then the main character usually has a big city corporate job or is an heiress or is someone's there wealthy, is. but still- yeah. Fish so out then, of water so, kind of thing. Yeah, but wealthy, right? Usually wealthy or high powered. So definitely middle, upper middle class, Mostly white, sometimes occasionally people of color, but again, high middle to upper middle class, right? And then there's always some sort of festival, Christmas festival or Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. <right. laughs> like these festivals are the so big like- town, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Like the entire town is a festival forever and ever. <laughs> and then there's a white Santa. That is a very common, a white Santa who is somehow has Christmas magic, right? That's there where the is. kind of yeah. suspension of belief is the the magic because some things it's like the deuce ex machina right where it's things are not going raw right and then somehow santa redirects the misguided you know couple mm, into trying love. to capture them the quote-unquote magic of christmas and that's often taking an embodied form of yes. santa claus who 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 is the container of of this magic or directs it and then what you're saying is that that santa claus figures often White again. It's always know. actually. I don't even know if I've seen a magical Santa in the in the Christmas rom com. I've never seen him not old and white. That's that is one. That's one because because sometimes he's not dressed up as Santa, but you right. all know it's Santa because he's an old white dude. And he does magic. Everyone knows that's the Santa. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like you don't even need the clothes anymore. It's the it's actually the race and the age and the gender, right? It's the old and white, the white man. beard. Yeah. Yes. Oh my yes. goodness. Yeah, I, I'm that's how conditioned we are. We they, they we don't are even so need to wear the suit. No, because sometimes they're like they're just like drivers, or they're yeah. you know happen to be at the Christmas fair selling something. I think in the Princess Switch movies, he's like in Chicago, and then he goes to he somehow shows up in Slovenia, whatever that country is that they end up in. He's like the same actor, and you 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 know that's coded. That's Santa. My goodness, ooh. See, y'all, already, already rethinking some of these favorite movies. We're not trying to to ruin it for anyone. We're just trying to say these are some of the implicit messages and the stories they tell about Christmas, which is, you know, a Christian holiday centered on the incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ and how far afield we've gone, not only from not necessarily focusing on Jesus at all, but from that to very incessantly promoting these particular messages about what an ideal Christmas looks like, what an ideal romance at Christmas looks like, who's included, who's involved. And so that's really interesting how embedded that that image of a white Santa Claus is that we don't even need to see him in a suit anymore. Nope. And I think that, you know, the kind of romance is uh, usually, almost always, even if it's interracial, it is mostly white people and heterosexual and uh, middle to upper middle class. 
And it's just from the beginning, there's tension and the resolution is coming together in a kiss under the mistletoe. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, I mean, the families are auxiliary. It's like the the romance is is usually the central theme. And that's, I think, it's what people expect. It is what's selling. I mean, if we think about, I looked up the statistics on Hallmark and it's like during a single two-month period, 85 million people tuned in to watch a Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie. 85 and, million. Okay. And during November and December, Hallmark becomes the most watched cable network. among. Wow. It's, it's mostly among women aged 18 to 54, but that's a huge range. <laughs> 18 to 54, right? It's like teenage, <laughs> teenage like, women. Yeah, to, yeah to their, maybe Seniors their, in high school up yes. to empty nesters almost. That's right. Just, you know, tuning in and buying into this fantasy. So there is gendered aspect of it, right? Because usually women are the leads. So that's understandable. But, you know, I know, Jamar, you noticed that there was like the, the men kind of come in and yeah. maybe they, they 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 change the women somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of these tropes, I think, of rom-coms in general, but certainly of a Christmas romance. And they, they might be a romance or, or a romantic comedy. Uh, usually it's both. There's this idea of a woman who's in some sort of distress, whether it's amnesia or she's in a town she's not familiar with and she's stuck or uh, she is too career obsessed and has forgotten, you know, the, the bigger things and more important things in life. And it's only through the love of a man that she sort of gets rescued, if you will, from whatever conundrum that she's in. That's just one of the tropes that I've noticed that, you know, sets it up like, a woman needs a man to be whole or complete or healthy kind of a thing. And somehow the man in these Christmas rom-coms always has the answer. And he's usually this kind of like all shucks kind of guy who, you know, just very plain salt of the earth kind of a, of a guy who's, you know, almost universally white, but it's through that connection with this male character that the woman solves her problem. And that was just interesting to me for the messages that it sends there. Yeah. And if she's a corporate woman who is high powered, it's like, it takes the small town, maybe sometimes even working class man to, to, Mm -hmm. to remind her that the family and the hearth is where happiness is, which is a very, very traditional conservative value, right? Of women don't kind of work yourself out of a man, work yourself out yeah. of a, you know, out of a family. You are, you're not meant to kind of rise up in the corporate ladder. That's not where happiness is, right? So that is definitely one type of Christmas movie that I have also observed. And that definitely reinforces kind of a more conservative family ideal, which is much more, I think, in alignment with maybe conservative, quote-unquote, Christian cultural norms uh, rather than anything that has to do with faith, right? Right. And understand we're not so this is a really sensitive cultural touch point that I think people misunderstand so often is to say, you know, people will will hear that and say, well, how is family conservative? You know, what's political about that or how is it conservative? What we're talking about is the emphasis on the nuclear family, 
the emphasis on the man and woman, husband and wife, they're 2.5 kids, right? For most of our history, including European and white history, family was much more capacious. It was absolutely extended family, blood relatives from grandparents to cousins and aunts and uncles, but also the sense of a, of, of a, one's local community and it takes a village kind of a thing. So, so part of what is involved in the culture of, you know, sort of valorizing and elevating the nuclear family, it's, even though it's a family, it's, it's almost individualistic in the sense that it's detached from a broader community and for people of color, that that sense of family has retained much more of the sense of of being a, a much bigger community. So so that's what we're talking about. We're not saying family in and of itself is political or 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 conservative or progressive or anything. We're saying the emphasis on this small unit, which really, even in U.S. history, wasn't the emphasis until about the 1950s, the post-World War II era. What we're saying is that emphasis is what many conservatives are thinking of and what many people of color and other folks would have a different idea when it comes to family in a lot of cases. So I just want to clarify that because this is one of those things that's so annoying to me that people think like, when you say something about the family, you're anti-family. No, we're 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 pro-family in 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 its broader definitions and implications. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I was raised by my grandparents, so for sure, family is much broader than yeah. the nuclear. I mean, I think of my grandmother as my mother, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, but yeah, but I also think that it's the. I'm also talking about the kind of family can only work if the woman is not working at home when, you know, even when I was teaching, I was like, it's really hard to sustain a middle-class living, especially in Southern California on a single salary. It's just not really possible, right? Or Mm. actually it's completely impossible to maintain a middle-class lifestyle if you only have a single uh, person working unless they're, you know, super rich, but it's, you know, for most early college graduates, they have to, they have to, you know, both work if they, that's the kind of lifestyle they want. And it's, it's just not, I think there's like a disconnect between reality and the world that we live in now. And then these kind of ideas that only, you know, the, the man should work and the woman should stay at home. Oh, I, I, I just want to say that I don't know if all the rom-coms, like, especially the ones that I like, the Christmas rom-coms, it's not like the women have to stay at home, but there is this kind of like, Stop caring about work. Let's let's think about home, right? That yeah. that was an elf yeah. too. Actually, if I think about it, right? Because that was actually interesting. That the father was too busy with work. The and father was not yes. focusing. Yeah, and and a lot of those earlier movies, I think, were about that. And, and it's interesting that it's kind of switched a little bit. I'm not sure if that is a kind of reprimand of women uh, working or just, you know, when we have women that are the, the leads now, that is, the, it's like they're reproducing the same trope, right? But because women are, are leads, they're, they're falling into that kind of standard of what does the Christmas rom-com look like? Well, as we're talking about tropes and whatnot, and you mentioned the Hallmark Channel before, it's become virtually synonymous, not only with Christmas movies, but with Christmas rom-com. Obviously, they do the 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 cards, right? But a lot of people, I think even the first thing that would come to mind when you hear Hallmark is the Christmas movie. And it's just so interesting to me, the racial demographics of the movies, of the Christmas movies at Hallmark. And along with that, which I don't think is unrelated, the fact that conservatives 
and Christian conservatives really love Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> um, I have more to say on that, but can you speak at all to things like the Hallmark Channel? There's more, you know, there's Lifetime. There's another channel that we'll talk about in a moment. But but this conservative love of these kinds of Christmas movies that we're talking about. I mean, they are very PG at most, right? There's no mm-hmm. cursing. There's no, there's no sex. I mean, I don't even think people kiss until maybe, you know, under the mistletoe <laughs> and maybe at the, the end. It's the last scene, the culmination. Yes. Yeah. yes, well, that's the kind of, it's almost like a Disney princess movie, right? Where right. at the end, you you get you finally get together and, and it's the love, the, the quote unquote consummation of the love is just a kiss. <laughs> it's just a very, very pure kiss. It's very safe, yeah. Yeah, very safe and it's it's very predictable, which I think that because like the tropes that I had mentioned and I think because of the predictability, it feels safer, right? Mm-hmm. There's not going to be something that's going to pop up that's going to be offensive. And even if people of color appear, they're still following the same tropes. It's yes. still predictable. It's it's not like someone's going to call out racism. <laughs> Right, right, right. Even if they do, it's going to be very subtle, right? Very subtle. It's still because it's a happy, these are rom-coms. They are happy. You know, the the two main characters are going to end up at the end and everyone, everything gets resolved, right? Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, that is, if we think- Tied up in a nice Christmas bow. Yeah, if we think of conservatism (laughs) as traditional, you know, we don't like change, this genre- even though we just said it's pretty modern. I think the first Hallmark holiday movie came out in 2000. So it's pretty wow. modern, right? And, wow. and, and it was, there wasn't that many, you know, it's just that one. Yeah. And then now we have like, it's gone up to it's like, machine. I think it's like 39 this this year. <laughs> I, I just want to, this is the, the really interesting part about Hallmark. So 39 holiday films as part of their Countdown to Christmas franchise. This is up 50%, 50% plus from five years ago. And it's premiering a week earlier in October. Whoa, Countdown to Christmas whoa. starts in October. Um, and then <laughs> and then and since 2012, Hallmark has held a Christmas in July <laughs> event by oh airing my. their previous movies. So what, you know, they don't even have to spend any more money. They just run reruns, right? And then in February of 2019, in honor of their upcoming then, you know, 10th anniversary of the Countdown to Christmas, they aired selections of movies on Friday night throughout the whole throughout year. the year. Christmas they are gonna Fridays. All of the money, <laughs> all of the viewership they can out of these Christmas movies all year long. It of is course. a huge, huge business boon for Hallmark, right? This is what we know of Hallmark now is these Christmas movies. And everybody wants to jump on the ship. So mm-hmm. lifetime, like we said, Lifetime, there's uh, this year, there's 26 holiday movies. Jeez. <laughs> so there's like hundreds of new movies being like. Netflix gave, you know, there's six of them, including the Lindsay Lohan we mentioned. There's 10 holiday movies coming from BET+. Plus. Okay. Really? So yes. Okay. So, black folks getting in it. Yep. Yep. Because black folks love Christmas too. Everybody, right? Absolutely. <laughs> There's four from Discovery Plus. I just Discovery saw an ad Plus. that HGTV people are like people that weren't even actors are doing stuff. They're all jumping in, right? Because I think that HGTV. This is again the home, right? This idea of a home as a theme of Christmas and maybe the things that people are drawn to. Yeah, and HBO Max, CBS. 
Fox Nation. I don't know. I don't know about what channel that is, but there's one coming from them as well. So everybody's in. Everybody's throwing in their their Santa hats into the ring. There, <laughs> <laughs> good one. I see what you did there. It's it's the kids' bookification of Christmas movies. Have you heard about the new monthly book club from InterVarsity Press? IVP Book Drop is the perfect club for readers who want to grow spiritually, hear from diverse voices, and start powerful conversations on today's most important cultural topics. Plus, it's only $9.99 each month. When you join IVP Book Drop, you'll receive our best-selling title, Reading While Black by Issa Macaulay, as your very first book. And after that, you'll continue to receive one curated book a month for just $9.99. As a listener of the Disruptors podcast, you already know many of the diverse authors featured like Esau McCauley, and you'll meet even more authors like them each month. IVP Book Drop is the easiest and most affordable way to receive the latest IVP books from your favorite authors. To learn more and join today for only $9.99, visit ivpress.com slash disrupt22. That's ivpress.com slash D-I-S-R-U-P-T-22. Save big on books worth talking about by signing up for IVP Book Drop today. As an author, I'm looking at these things and like everybody comes up with a kid's book, even if that's not their their thing, right? Because it's always so popular. It's a guaranteed seller. If you can get good, good illustrations and a simple feel-good story, well, you're going to sell some books, right? And everybody seems to be jumping in on, you know, making a children's book, let's say. Now everybody's jumping in on this Christmas because it's a guarantee. And we were talking about like this sort of affinity between these films and Christian conservatives, I I looked into it a little bit. So to me, it all falls under this idea of wholesomeness. What is considered wholesome? Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, these films are safe, right? Like you can have them on, even in my my family, my my in-laws, both of whom are black, my father-in-law loves Hallmark movies. And it'll be on in the background, just like running all day long because Hallmark 39 films, they're going to run these back to back to back to back to back for weeks at a time. And so it's like background noise. And part of the reason why he and others feel comfortable to do that is because they know nothing's going to pop up that's going to be controversial. If there's people of color in the film, they're not going to make a big deal about it. They're just going to show up and, you know, look good in the brochure kind of a thing. They're not going to touch on highly sensitive topics. And it caused me to go back not that long ago, Hallmark got in some hot water for not holding up this supposed wholesome image. Understand wholesome in many of these films is coded as a white, middle-class, heterosexual Christian. That is the idea of wholesome. And so then when you deviate from that, that's when you get into trouble. So uh, in 2019, Hallmark showed some ads for, it was this like online wedding planning thing. And it showed a wedding and it showed two women and and they were taking vows to get married. There was this massive backlash. It was so bad 
that the CEO of Hallmark shortly thereafter stepped down. Now, he didn't say that's why he did, but, you know, the timing was very suggestive. And then what it did was it disrupted this idea of, of wholesomeness. So what I also found was interesting. Candace Cameron Bure, she was, you know, sitcom star, now has become, I read in one article, the queen of Christmas because <laughs> she's in so many of these Christmas movies. But I'm like, isn't the queen of Christmas Mariah Carey? But see, that's another <laughs> cultural thing. Um, that's who so, I think of. I do not think of Candace. Exactly, no. <laughs> but some would. And, and, and she was like the cornerstone actress for all these Christmas movies. She recently left Hallmark to go to a network called Great American Country Media, GSC Media, Supposedly, so she would have more creative control. She could produce and, you know, direct or whatever she wanted to do. But it is also a place where she felt she could be more overt in the Christian themes that that she is passionate about. She's a person of faith. She identifies as a Christian. What's also interesting is that GAC is run by the former CEO of Hallmark. So the, the guy who left in the midst of that backlash went over and he's now running GAC. His name is Bill Abbott. Now, the and he started plot, the count, countdown to Christmas. He was the he's, he's the guy who started. Yeah. Okay. So he he sort of presided over this like mushrooming of of Christmas films at Hallmark. Now he's doing the same thing at GAC. And in terms of the co- conservative connections, the web gets even thicker. The owner of GAC is a guy named Thomas Hicks. Now Thomas Hicks and his family are close friends and supporters of Donald Trump. They tried to buy the OANN network, which is like wall-to-wall MAGA, kind of pro-MAGA coverage. The, the, the people who are backing this now rival network to Hallmark are very politically, they're really conservative political activists. And of course, that's going to come out in their programming. And so as we look at these films... It's not even just what's on screen. It's what's happening in the business of it all, in the business of all these networks. And you wonder why, you know, they tend to, A, attract a certain audience and B, feature certain actors and actresses. Well, some of it's tied to to those leanings. Yeah. And who gets to be the great American family, right? In That's right. all, That's all right. these Christmas exactly. movies. Who is that family? What do they look like? What do they eat? What what do they consider love, right? What is the definition of wholesome, right? I think there we need is. to we need to deconstruct that when we're thinking about. I mean, I, I laugh at these tropes, but these tropes all like the tropes that I mentioned: code white, code mm-hmm. upper or middle class, and code very um, straight and very. I think nuclear, if we want to go back to the nuclear family, like if there are extended family, they are supporting cast. The main plot is always around the the man and the woman falling in love, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's mm-hmm. a kid, sometimes there's, you know, in, you know, brother or sister, but they are all supporting. And I think that, yeah, that the, it defines what family, what the American family is supposed to look like. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 things get really interesting when you ask, well, why can't wholesome be Muslim? Mm-hmm. Why can't why can't wholesome be brown skinned? 
Mm-hmm. Why can't wholesome be poor or working class? Why is wholesome in our culture and certainly in the, these Christmas movies always this very narrow definition of it? I have Muslim friends who love Christmas, the culture of, of it, because yeah. it's so di- divorced from the actual religion. I think they yeah. just celebrate it as a cultural thing, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the, what's, what's so mm-hmm. interesting. In their mind, they can like read that it's not religious anymore. Like these, mm. these Christmas movies are not religious. The kind of holiday of it is really not religious because we've, we've created this Christmas industrial complex. So it's, yeah, it's so funny that my, my Muslim friends will, will celebrate it because it's just an American cultural thing and they don't find it necessarily going against their religious beliefs if they're practicing. So they already figured it out. I don't know what um, I don't know what American Christians think of all of this, right? Do right. we think of this? I, I think of it as very American, right? Because that was what I learned yes. coming here, that this is Christmas and the way that we celebrate it. When I'm watching the Christmas rom-coms, there's a feeling of good cheer <laughs> and kind of the rom-com like, oh, will they, won't they? It's always will they, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but when will they? How long will it take? Yes. Well, it'll we happen. know the span of an hour and a half, wherever it is. There right? it is. <laughs> and so, but I think I never think I'm going to see Jesus in this movie, mm, or mm-hmm, I'm going to just mm-hmm, come out mm-hmm. of it really growing in my faith. Like none of that is happening when I'm watching these movies. Instead, I'm actually always watching, okay, how are they going to represent what a family is? And is there going to be people of color? And what are what roles are they going to play? I am interested in that. And I just, as an aside, find it so interesting that Christmas magic is okay, but wizards and witches, that magic is not okay with <gasps> yes, some Santa of these Santa magic is okay, right? Santa magic is safe, but, you know. Why is Santa magic okay? It's totally wizardry. <laughs> it's totally witchcraft. Santa is you know? totally performing witchcraft in these things, right? <laughs> just just interesting. You're totally. Let's, let's, Let's talk about some examples. Let's like use some of this framework that we're talking about with uh, movies we all know and love. Is there a particular like Christmas rom-com that you think is ripe for analysis in uh, I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas series? Oh my goodness. You know, when I was looking up uh, to remind myself, what are Christmas romantic movies? Actually, It's a Wonderful Life popped up. Hmm. I don't think of it as a comedy. <laughs> Definitely not a comedy. No, um, it's one of those one of those movies that actually actually I think resonates with my feelings, my mixed feelings about Christmas, my personal mixed feelings, mm. and I, I appreciate that you know that it actually gets into kind of the darkness that people often go through. But at the end of the day, there is a romantic element between actually a husband and wife, right? And so I think that, you know, romance and Christmas have have been around for a long time. But the, I think the movies used to be a little deeper, right? Because I think of that movie, that movie as much as much more because it's kind of a reevaluation of one's life, right? Almost like an end of the year, sure. like, and also like the kind of, is, am I living up to what I thought I, my life should be? And, and to me, that feels more like what Christmas should be, right? Yeah, and, and what, this and, is the James Stewart film, of yes. 1940s, I think. Guy is like in a crisis, you know, his uh, business is failing and everything. An angel comes down to basically, you know, guide him in that course of that reflection. 
And so this actually brings in some of the class elements and, and things that we've talked about yes. before. But but what you're talking about looks like there's much bigger themes here. Like he's reevaluating his whole life. And the Charles Dickens story as well goes of you know, Christmas past, present, exactly. and future. It's like, look at your life. Evaluate. Are you living in a way that's loving and serving others? And but it's an anti-capitalist themes, actually, right? It's a Christmas story. And I think it's a wonderful life. Like, that's, it's like materialism or material success is not the measurement of happiness. It's it is it is the family or in the a Christmas story case with Scrooge, it's actually not your necessarily even your own family. What you're doing for the community, right? Are you are you exploiting your workers and their families? That's so right? interesting. So much as closer we, as we juxtapose those to, yes. to what's happening now. Yeah. 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 And so that that I mean, you know, I think the the longevity of the Scrooge um, mythology, I think, you know, even to this day, I think I, I, one of the uh, Asian American movies from uh, Christmas movies, very the very, very few that I could count on one hand um, was, was actually, I think it was Boyfriends of Christmas Past. And that was, you know, that is actually told, that is based, that <laughs> it's based on, it's based on the Scrooge myth, right? And so I think it's very interesting that, that the idea of looking looking back and seeing what is it that we're you know reevaluating one's life and and maybe thinking about our values right committing to our values and i think that to me is more christ like than you know, are we, are, well, we, or won't we get together with the prince? Even though, again, so I love those movies. <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not hating on the Christmas prince movies because those are so fun, but that isn't, you know, why Jesus came to this earth. <laughs> so. That is so interesting. Um, almost chilling in, in, in the example. And of course, those movies that we're talking about are still very white, but they're they're much bigger and deeper and more enduring themes, right? Well, they talk Th- about class difference, right? Exactly. Yes. Because and, and that in, in that time, maybe Charles Dickens, well, Charles Dickens is the the author that that points out the the kind of class inequality and disparity, right? He's he's right. definitely for the working class. And so I feel like, yeah, that and Jane Austen, when she was writing about, you know, gender, maybe inequality, like I, I, I'm, when I was an English major, I was drawn to these mm. writings because it was the closest I could find as an English major. Because if you're an English major in the United States, you basically read all white authors for the most part yeah. in terms of the canon, Right. Right. And so I was I found myself drawn to authors who, you know, at least talked about inequality in in the context that they were that having a a Christmas story by Charles Dickens, you know, being the classic is I don't know. It's like I'm not like, let's go back to the classics kind of person, especially like you said, it's uh, it's still, you know, kind of exclusive. But I think that there's more meaning there that versus the kind of 30 you know, 50, 100 plus movies that are coming out right, right. per year that are, that again, totally fine entertainment. But if we consider that the embodiment of Christmas, we are kind of losing sight, and especially when it's defended so kind of vehemently mm. as like, oh, mm. you know, don't destroy the, yeah, it has to be this way. Don't destroy this, this vision of the Christmas family or the Christmas or of Christmas love. It feels really off 
you know, off the actual meaning of Christmas. And I've always thought this whole war, a war on Christmas, like what Christmas are we talking about here? Mm. What, what are we, what's the, what's the war well, and what is Christmas that you're talking about? Cause well, it doesn't the war seem- is you can't say Merry Christmas. You got to <laughs> say happy holidays. That is so, you know, I'm making light of it, but yeah, it is the sense that again, what is wholesome? How should, how quote unquote should Christmas be? That's what we're talking about. And so folks who are crying a war on Christmas are really talking about, I have this image, this picture of Christmas that is very culturally conditioned a lot through the media that we consume around Christmas. And now that's changing and I don't like it. I'm calling it a war. <laughs> that's really that helpful you, to understand. Yeah, the thing that you feel like is changing, though, isn't even, I think, the actual thing that we should be protecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And it's so, the war on the—it's really the Christmas industrial complex that we're yes, talking about. Yes, the war on that. And when we say Merry Christmas, no—I mean, not no one, but I don't know if anyone's like, and— do you know Jesus? <laughs> really right, is right, this kind right. of Merry Christmas meeting, Merry uh, trees and tinsel and ornaments mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Rudolph and Santa magic wizard <laughs> and you know all of that. Which again, I w- I'm fine with call like just acknowledging what that is, right? Because I, I don't I don't actually want that to go away. We just name it. This is the Christmas mm. industrial complex, and it's definitely pleasurable. All the movies, all the gift wraps, all this stuff, it's fun, right? It's fun. It's part Absolutely. of the capitalistic society, and it's okay to, like, celebrate and relax at the end of the year, you know? Yeah, and, we can still like it. Yeah, it's have fine. festivities, all that. Just don't call it, like, this is the Christmas that, you know, we're protecting as Christians mm. of faith, mm. right? Because that's that is, that's a that's an idol if we start to make that, reduce that into who who the birth of Jesus and what that means to us as people of faith. I wanted to talk about one more example that I think you've got something to say about. It's a modern classic. It definitely falls in the rom-com category. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> love Actually. Love Actually. Yes, which has, <laughs> you know, the Mariah Carey song. <laughs> the Mariah Carey song, actually, um, All I Want for Christmas is You, this idea, I actually think that that is the embodiment of the Christmas rom-com right there. Mm. All I want for Christmas is you. And it ain't Jesus. <laughs> mm. Right? It's like some yeah. some love just out of reach, right? A kind of love that you're trying to get, like, a, you know, a romantic love of some sort. And although I have heard of the song being sung in churches. <laughs> And I think they're trying to reclaim it. Yes, it was a it was a Hollywood church, I have to say, and they sounded like pop singers. And I was sitting there while thinking, wow, they're singing this song as a praise song. But anyway, Christians will use any song that's catchy in worship. Right. They'll find that's a way. Right, because right, it's like sometimes I go there and it's like a concert, right? To attract more people to come into its doors. Anyway, I'm not slamming that. It's whatever. This is this is Hollywood. This is Hollywood. But I think that this movie, you know, it's I think I just saw some posts where it's like, oh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly. It was like our favorite movie of all time, but it's been shown to be super problematic on multiple fronts, right? Like, yeah, um, like the it's Hugh a two thousand three movies. Yes, there's there's eight eight different couples all trying to deal with their their loves love lives, and it's one of those things where you know all the stories cross at some point. And again, it's a modern 
classic. It's it's a who's who. Liam Neeson, Kira Knightley, Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, all those folks. If you haven't seen it, I mean, it's been 20 years, y'all. But yeah, that's the movie that we're talking about. And you saying, but but now it's problematic in some ways. Yeah, I don't think it's aged very well because two, at least two of the romances are between like boss and subservient, <laughs> like, you know, like someone who's under their power. And so the power dynamics there are exploitative. And and yet when I saw it, I was like, oh, so romantic, so cute. But like, no, <laughs> you know, and then there's, I think, is there only one person of color? Chiwete Ejiofor, right? So, I think he, yeah. he, yeah, he marries Kira Knightley. And then the romance is between her and his best friend who's white. <laughs> the white guy. Exactly. Exactly is what I was thinking of. Super problematic <laughs> there. <laughs> He's like obsessed with her. And this is his. And then you don't even see Chimite Ejiofor who is like, you know, Oscar nominated. Does he? Did he win? I don't think he won, but Oscar nominated. Amazing actor who just gets to be the husband who is at the wedding and then kind of disappears. It's It's like all white romances and you just feel like this is like eight stories, right? And this is lauded as one of the, you know, best Christmas rom-coms of all time. And it's got huge stars, right? And at the same time, yes, I can watch it and still like remember my young self enjoying it. But now I see it with a much mm-hmm. more critical eye. Yeah. And that's that's what we're trying to do in, in this whole series. It's just like be mature about the... Christmas culture that we're consuming. And as we said in the first episode, as we've said throughout this one, uh, we appreciate this thing. We appreciate these movies. They're, you know, they're brain candy. It's fun. It's relaxing. You can enjoy it, but also just be aware. Don't simply be a passive consumer of this Christmas culture, but understand what messages that are being communicated and that we are you know, in some ways, subtly adopting and maybe perpetuating some some harmful things. This was all about the Christmas rom-com. Um, we are in the series, I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas, looking at really this that has come around the culture of Christmas, particularly in the United States. In the next episode, we'll actually talk about Christmas in color. So there has been movement. There has been shifts uh, to try to get more racial and ethnic diversity present in films and to deal with it seriously. Some films do better than others, and we'll talk through all of that. So thank you for joining us on this episode of I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas, and we will see you on the next one.